weekly Sabbath. As Chris mentioned, uh, Fridays and are a special day for a lot of us, special day for me. Today we, actually it's my day off. <laughs> Friday's supposed to be my day off. I try my best to take some time to be with my family. I have a lot of friends that their dads are pastors and, and you know, they've kind of felt like their um, dad was never home. And so uh, that stuck with me before I started in ministry. And I said, you know, Friday nights are going to be family night for me. And uh, we have a couple different rituals we do. We always eat taco salad on Friday nights. Some of you might call them haystacks, but taco salad is a little more, you know, sophisticated. Um, so we usually have that every Friday night. And we got another rule on Sabbath. The kids can't get in trouble. They have 24 hours where they can't get in trouble, no matter what they do. It's the year of Jubilee in our house on Fridays. So if all your kids, after hearing this, come to you and say, Dad, we need to, Mom, we need to keep the Sabbath the way Pastor does. And surprisingly, uh, there's no no incidents. Uh, but uh, it's wonderful to be here tonight. And we are celebrating the Resurrection Weekend. And this is the first time, just celebrate this with me, all of my, the first time we've ever celebrated Resurrection Weekend. Right? Uh, as a church, we're excited, and uh, it's a great weekend. It's a weekend I grew up not necessarily uh, going to church the whole time. Maybe some of you have a Catholic background, so you know that you do your Holy Week Mass and those Masses all together. And so, why not spend this time focusing on such the, a monumental moment in history that we celebrate and that we appreciate. So as uh, Chris mentioned, we are going through the book of Luke, and I have a few gifts I want to give away. I have four gifts I want to give away. I want to start with anyone who has not been here before. Has anyone not been here before? I'm just looking at maybe one or two faces. There we go. I want to gift you this. This is what we've been using. Uh, This is a scripture journal Bible. It's the book of Luke, and you can write in it. So there you go. Congratulations. And I see um, if there's one, I want to give this away to one more person. I just don't know. I'm not good at these things. I'm not a good, who did not get one that would like one? How about that? Can we make it that simple? There we go. Thank you very much. Like, who don't want the Bible? Just guilt them into, no, it is, there we go. There we go. So I'm excited about getting back into our series. And if you don't know, I'm going to be preaching three different messages, and really what I'd want to do is kind of this weekend, I want to tell the story of Jesus. It intersects with what we've been talking about, um, that God does have something to say, and God's words and what he meant and how he felt was expressed in the embodiment of Jesus. Jesus was the heart of God, and he wasn't this Old Testament mean God and New Testament nice God. It was the same God. There's a lot of things that Jesus has to say that are sharp, that are sometimes hard to to swallow, but it is a message of hope and faith for us. And so I want to pray one more time as we begin our message tonight. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to come on this day of the week and to to rest and to be under your feet. I thank you for every person that's come tonight, every person that's watching, that we celebrate this weekend. Many Christians call this Good Friday, and we know that it was for our good. It wasn't good for you. But as we hear the story tonight, may we be rekindled, may we be reminded, and may we be refreshed knowing how much you love us 
And I pray that decisions will be made tonight for you. I pray that next steps will be made tonight for you. How can we hear the word and still be the same? I just pray that whatever lie is there would be torn down by the truth tonight. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Let me hear the church give a good amen and amen. I want to start out tonight, and I couldn't decide because I'm getting so old now. You know, I have to have like a backup Bible. It's funny, I was in my office studying, and I pulled out one of my Bibles that I used to use when I first started in ministry, and I couldn't read one thing in that Bible. It was, the print was so small. And so I've got an actual Bible and a backup Bible here, just in case it just gets a little too hard to read. But I want to start um, tonight where tonight would have probably looked like over 2,000 years ago. And that's just in Luke chapter 24, verses 4 through 44 through 49. I've got a lot of scriptures I really want to just read to you tonight just to kind of tell the story of that, of Jesus. Luke chapter 24, I'm going to read it from the screen. If you have our app, the NLT version would be right there in the app. Or you can even follow along in the scripture journal Bible, although that version will be a little different. But here's the way the NLT reads. Then he said, when I was with you, this is Jesus talking. I told you about everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scripture. And he said, yes, it was written a long time ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. This is forgiveness of sin. There, there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. But now I send you the Holy Spirit, just as my father pronounced. But stay here in this city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with the power of heaven. So this is the send-off that Jesus had to his disciples. This was something he told them and tried to warn them of the soon pain and the soon crucifixion that he would have. It's interesting as we look at the crucifixion story of Jesus now, we know, according to Scripture, that Jesus was innocent. I don't know how we would feel in that day. I don't know if we would have felt like Jesus was innocent because a lot of people who had his miracles and were blessed by him for some reason on that weekend turned their backs on him. I think about a couple of weeks ago the death of hip-hop artist Nipsey Hussle. I was not acquainted as much with his music as I was with some of his work he did in the city of Los Angeles. And some of the work that he was trying to teach economic empowerment and in some of the poor and disenfranchised neighborhoods in Los Angeles, he was trying to teach them about business. He had a whole bunch of businesses, uh, the, the nickname Nipsey Hustle, and a lot of people were devastated by his shooting, devastated by his death. And it reminded me of an artist that in my era, in my almost 20 years ago or more, uh, the same impact felt the same way when he died. And that was the hip-hop artist Tupac Secure. Now, at that time, I didn't really understand a lot of the words and the lyrics that he was, try was trying to communicate through his music. 
It's not that his music always glorified God, but there was something about his personal life that he began to put inside of his story. Something about him where he told the truth about how he was feeling. And no matter how dark at times his music was, or no matter how much uh, profanity was in there, it seemed as though, as I reflect now, as an older, as a man, I can reflect that this 26-year-old, Tupac was 26 when he died. I couldn't believe that when I really understood that. Was trying his best to communicate what he was feeling at his age. And as I look back on that, doesn't matter who it is. No one deserved to die that soon. And in some ways, that, that or a lot of ways, that murder has never been solved. And I just wonder sometimes, was he innocent? Did he deserve it? I'm sure there's people in your life even now that have lost their life to death or illness or tragedy. And you just thought, man, that just wasn't fair. That just wasn't right. They did not deserve that. And the way scripture uh, shows us about Jesus is very interesting because, in fact, on the cross, and I'm not sure if I put this scripture uh, with our media team, but I did want to I put it in my notes to make sure that I shared it. It's found actually a little bit earlier in Matthew 24. And it is, um, let me just pull this up. Matthew 24, this is actually verse 44. I want to read verse 44 to you, right where we picked up there. By this time it was noon and darkness fell across the whole land about three o'clock and the sun, light from the sun was gone and suddenly a curtain in the sanctuary of the temple torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And those words, he breathed his last breath. When the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshiped God and said, surely this man was innocent. And when all the crowds had come to see the crucifixion, they saw what had happened, but they went home in deep sorrow. See, Jesus' life was all about his mission. Jesus was a gift from the Father. And this gift was for us to be a part of his mission, to save humanity. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 and 8. I'm going to take you to that verse. I want to read something the Bible says about Jesus. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. When we were utterly helpless. Anybody remember being utterly helpless? You might not want to admit it, but anybody just remember when you needed someone to rescue you? Verse 7. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person. Let's just be honest about that. Right? <laughs> no judgment right there. We're just saying, uh, good person. Am I going to die? No, I'll plan a funeral. I'll do the memorial, but maybe not on this one. Though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were yet sinners. Does that make any sense to you? Maybe you heard that God is the kind of a person who's waiting for you to get it right, and then he's going to offer forgiveness. He's waiting for you to repent and turn it around. Then he's like, okay, I'll give you. The Bible's saying that Jesus died for us, not even an upright person, not even a righteous person, 
but a filthy, wretched person like me while we were yet sinning, as the King James would say. In the middle of the sin, in the midst of our broken humanity, the Bible says Jesus died for us. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to me. I remember I had a GMC Yukon, and I loved that. It was a 1999 GMC Yukon. I just moved here. I had fixed everything I could on it. My network wasn't big enough, so I knew enough people that can fix cars at that point. And I said, look, I had a major problem with my uh, power steering. There was a guy uh, who worked on cars that I trusted. And I'm, some of you, if you're not a mechanic, you need a mechanic you can trust, right? You need that. And I thought I could trust the guy. He was good, good mechanic. Somebody's shaking their head. Good mechanic. He didn't specialize in power steering, but it was related to kind of his specialty. And I said, look, would you mind taking a look at it? I told him what the problem was. He saw it for himself. He thought, yeah, I can fix it. Paid him the money to fix it. I think it was like $600 to fix it. Probably a little cheap, actually, for what he did. And I say, thank you. I get my car. About two days later, it's the same problem. I know at least one mechanic in here. It, and I said, this is not good. I go back to him. I say, look, uh, I still got the same problem. Nothing seems to be happening. He's like, I'll take a look at it. One week goes by. Two weeks go by. Three weeks go by. I come by. I say, uh, and I, you know, stop by every once in a while. I'm like, hey, just checking on my truck. Here's what he says. Be patient, Rev. I was like. Be patient, Rev. What are you talking about? I'm trying to get to it. I got cars out the door, such and such and such. I was like, but I already paid you for mine. I'm just saying, like, you, it's not right. He's arguing with me. So I, since he called me Reverend, that's what he was, you know, he must have softened. He looked, saw the look in my eyes. I said, fine. I was young in ministry. I just got here. So what I did was I took my keys and I left. Probably would have been a different story today. But back then, I just took my keys and I left. Then I had to take it to a real mechanic. I paid double. Never got my money back from him. Paid double to get it fixed. The man calls me two hours after I dropped it out. He said, I am so glad you brought it in. I said, why? He said, you would have been risked. Your, the power steering, the whole thing that, that was the problem, whoever worked on it, you were at risk almost of death. That thing could have snapped on you at any time. You would have lost control on the freeway, and you could have died. I am so glad you brought it in. I dropped. My head dropped. And I'm so glad I didn't cuss that guy out, right? I'm so glad. Because imagine if he would have tried to fix it. And see, that's what it's like. There are so many things going on under the hood of our own lives, our own humanity, our own flesh. And we do our best to take them to different mechanics who are cheaper. Netflix. <laughs> Out there in Finley, the, the weed shop, right? 
We do whatever we can do to try to medicate ourselves and take care of ourselves. But there is a mechanic who understands our engine, understands the heart of humanity and says, no, this is going to cost you more, but I'm willing to pay the price because if you keep going the way you're going, you're going to die. And I'm so glad that while we were yet sinning, Jesus says, I'll take your truck. I'll take the broken pieces. I'll take all the stuff you thought was going to work. Let me fix it. And let me put you back together again. This is the Messiah. This is the role that Jesus walks in as he comes into humanity. And maybe one of the most striking chapters of the Bible I read as a teen, when I wanted to understand this story, was found in Isaiah 53. I might have, let's see, oh no, Isaiah 58. Let's put it on the screen and see. I yeah, I gave you the wrong text. It's really Isaiah 53. I apologize. If you know how to edit it um, back there in the tech team, you can try your best to edit, edit it. But I am just, I'm just a little bit wonky today. But you know what? It's okay. We're going to preach this message. Isaiah 53. Here's what it says. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. This is speaking of Jesus. This is speaking of the Messiah. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. Now, let me, before I keep going, this was written a long time before Jesus walked the earth. This is prophetic language of the Jesus that would come, the Messiah that would come. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. Look what the, the Bible says. We turned our backs on him, looked the other way. He was despised and we didn't care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were punishment of God, from God and a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Verse 6, all of us, somebody say all of us. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. I want to stop right there to let you understand something. That it wasn't just that Jesus took on the sins of the world. I want you to understand that the Bible is very clear about Jesus became sin. It wasn't just that he was wearing it. He literally inhabited every single sin. The essence of sin on his pure and perfect being. This is the weight of the cross that he is carrying. This is how much, just imagine a feeling all of your sins that you committed in your life thus far. Just imagine the entire scope of humanity being dumped on you. One who had never sinned to feel the weight of sin. All of us, it said it was dumped on all of us. Here's verse 7. He was oppressed. He was treated harshly, yet he never said a word. Yet like a lamb to the slaughter as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. 
unjustly condemned. Innocent beginnings. He was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants. His life was cut short in the midstream. He was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong. He had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal and he was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. That's us. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will be made, it, make it possible for many. Somebody say many. Many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. He was innocent. And he was betrayed early in the book of Luke as it begins to talk about Jesus' ministry. And I'll just give you the short version. He was there. He was healing. There were so many people he was healing. And then one night in Luke uh, 22, he begins to end the end of his ministry. He's only been really in public ministry about three years. And towards the end of it, he had built a great team of people that were serving him, a great team of people that were working with him. And he sits them down one night. And it's the weekend, this weekend, like this. It was the Passover weekend. Now, the Passover was a festival that celebrated a historic moment in their history when they were delivered from Egypt. And God had put all these plagues. And the night before he was delivered, he told them to have this feast. And Jesus put all his disciples together to celebrate this feast. They had no idea that this feast was actually what would fulfill his ministry. That this Passover night, this lamb that was slain, that the blood that was wiped on the doorhouses of the people of Israel would be the saving grace. And they had no idea that in just a few hours, his own blood would be shed for them as a mark of salvation. And so he, the festival of unleavened bread, which is also called the Passover, was approaching. This is Luke chapter 22. The priests and the teachers of the law were plotting how to kill Jesus, but they were afraid of the people's reaction. There are church people that will try to kill you. This, this is a p church leaders preparing for the church service and plotting how to kill Jesus. Then Satan entered Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12 disciples, one of his guys, one of his boys, one of his crew. And he went to the leading priests and captains of the temple guard to discuss the best way to betray Jesus to them. And they were delighted and they promised to give him money. So they're in this room with Jesus. They're having this meal. Jesus is being a servant. He's washing their feet. He's feeding with them. He tells them, this is the last time you're going to even spend this meal with me. And as that night progresses, that same man comes back 
and he shows the priest where he is. And there's this interaction, this little scuffle in the garden. And Jesus is taken to Pilate. Let's jump to Luke 23, verses 13 through 15. Then someone called from the crowd. Oh, that's not the right text. Oh, my goodness. This is my fault, y'all. See, that's why I got a backup Bible. That's not their fault at all. Trust me. It is my fault. Verse 13. Pilate called together the leading priests and other religious leaders and the people. He announced his verdict because they wanted him to die. You brought this man to me, accusing him of leading a revolt. I have explained to him thoroughly on this point in your presence, and I find him innocent. Herod came back to the same conclusion, and they sent him back to us. Nothing this man has done calls for the death penalty, so I will have him flogged and release him. Then the Bible says, a mighty roar rose from the crowd, and the one voice they shouted, kill him and release Barabbas to us. The same people that he healed. The same people that he ministered to. The same people that he walked in their villages and healed them now are shouting, crucify him. See, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. There have all been times we have betrayed Jesus, even those close to him, even those far, even those who hated him the whole time. What I'm trying to paint the picture is we have all betrayed him. We have all in some way said he is worthy of death. It sounds graphic. It sounds strange. But in our humanity, what we say, the way we kill Jesus is say, we don't need you. We can do it ourselves. We don't need God. We don't need any intervention. My way works. You do whatever you need to do. I'm going to do what I need to do. And my way is going to work. But then Jesus... In verse 32, same chapter, Bible says he is on the cross. The time had come, and Jesus says something so interesting. He says to them, I'll just read it in short. As he's talking to his father, as the crowds are mocking him, Jesus says, forgive them. This is verse 34. Jesus says to his father, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they are doing. Jesus offers this word of forgiveness. They begin to mock him. They begin to say, look, the crowd watched the leaders scoff. Say he saved others, they said. Let him save himself. If he's really God's Messiah, the chosen one, they mocked him. They beat him. They pierced his side. Listen to the pain of being innocent and being crucified. Listen to the pain of watching those who you've loved, watching those who you have walked with turn their back on you and say, crucify him and kill him. But just like we read in Isaiah 58, he opens not his mouth. He doesn't say a word. He Don't you realize, like, I know that movie, is it Infinity War? I saw that. I was a little disappointed with that movie. Is that the movie where it's the guy Thanos, right? He snaps his finger. Am I right? Am I doing good? Okay. Well, you do realize that Jesus could have done that, right? Like, you, you do realize that that could have just been a blink of the eye, like I, Gene and Genie back in the day. Like, that could have been Thanos, and we all would have started from scratch. He could have wiped 
the, do you realize that the hosts of the armies of heaven were waited to be deployed at the, at the command of the, if he would have just said, go get my son. That's Thanos right there. Like it's done. Can you just, can you just use your imagination to just peel behind the scenes and just wonder what Satan was doing? If the crowds are mocking him, what do you think, what do you think the enemy's doing? What do you think the fallen angels and the deep, what are they doing? Are they mocking Jesus? Are they somewhere? No, they, they, this is the most tense moment in history. And look at this. Jesus is full of sin. Sin that he did not commit himself. He is carrying the weight of all humanity and he still does not sin. He still does not open his mouth. He still does not seek justice. He says, in my mind, there's somebody in 2019 on, on April 19th that is going to hear this message. They're going to receive the salvation. I've got to get through this. I've got to finish this, me- this work. I'm innocent, but they're not. I'll take their shame. I'll take their guilt. I'll take their penalty. If it means I suffer now for them to have freedom, I'll do it. I'll do it. So we read Romans 5, uh, verses 6, verse 8. Look at Romans 8, verses 34, 31 through 34. Look at Romans chapter 8. I think I put that one. No, put put the next one up. The next Romans text. Romans 8, I should have my backup Bible. I can't see anymore, y'all. We're getting there. Romans chapter 8, verses um, 31 through 34. It says, what shall we say about such wonderful things? If God is for us, who could ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, But gave him up for us all. Won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who will then condemn us? No one. For Christ died for us. He was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading with us. The Bible says they tried to condemn Jesus. They tried to accuse him of leading a revolt. They tried to accuse him of blasphemy. And Jesus was innocent. Not only was he being accused in the earth, but because of the sin that was on him, he was standing accused before his father. And his death, This fulfillment of Passover, this Passover lamb that we needed. Jesus, because of the sin that was on him, he was accused. And death was required. And Jesus paid that debt. And so the ultimate price that could ever been paid was paid by Jesus himself. 
And so when he paid that price, he didn't just become victor as the lamb. He also became worthy to judge. Y'all got to hear what I'm saying. So the same one who died for us is now eligible and is qualified to be judged. Judge us. Our judge is the one who paid the price for us. Okay, y'all, y'all not hear what I'm saying. The, the one who can put us away is the same one who paid our penalty. Our defense lawyer is also the judge. Anybody ever been in trouble before? Our defense lawyer is the judge. So nobody can condemn us. Nobody can tell us, condemn us. Jesus is the only one who has not sinned and is worthy to judge. He does not condemn us. He says all you need to do is for, to confess your sins, that you have sinned, accept my righteousness, obey my commandments, and walk in my ways. So no one else can condemn you. Let me read one more text. I, I just got to gotta, gotta read one more text. This is Hebrews chapter 12. I love this one. Hebrews chapter 12 says this. Therefore, since we have been surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, that's people who have died before us. That's people who have labored and have allowed their lives to be lost for this cause. Let us strip every weight that so easily, that, sorry, do it from memory. Let's strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Look at this word here, the champion. Jesus, the champion. Not the weak, tender, little, meek, push over Jesus. That Jesus does not exist. This is Jesus, the champion. This is Jesus, the victor. This is Jesus, the unbreakable one who initiates and perfects our faith. Look at this. Because of the joy awaiting him, on the other side, he endured the cross. He was looking forward to the other side of it. He was looking forward to what was going to happen if he made it through. He endured the cross. He disregarded the shame. Here's echoing back to Romans chapter 8. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Our defense attorney is our judge. The one who was worthy to condemn us, the one who never sinned went to the cross for our sins embodied all of our sin and died on a cross for us when I was in high school I had some friends and I had just moved from Minneapolis it was a brand new high school I met some friends around the corner where I lived and a lot of them were on the basketball team and I remember I had to take a math class my winter quarter and they said you should take this class with us I was like, it'd be kind of cool, you know, take some class. Now, look, I, you know, they're on the basketball team, right? So there's all these big, tall guys. I'm like, come on, man, take the class with us. We'll have fun. I'm like, eh, fun, man. I don't really know. Then I found out this girl that I liked was in the class. So I said, I'm signing up. I'll take the class. No problem. I decided it was a good idea for my educational future. This class will fit my, my, my work. I get there. And I don't see a lot of math being done. And I'm 
I'm like, what's going on? And, the, you know, the teacher's kind of talking, and the guys are kind of in there. And then they would kind of do some work, and then it'd be kind of a break. And then, like, after a couple of weeks, the teacher would be teaching, and then he'd kind of use a basketball play as an illustration. I'm like, what is going on in this class? And all the guys were required to go to study hour, you know, at a certain time. Like, what is going on? I find out by one of my friends that the math teacher is also the basketball coach. And math happened to be these athletes' not-so-good class. Now, look, I'm not going to speculate that any wrongdoing was done, but I will say that this was a very interesting class that the coach was also the math teacher. And there was a whole lot of grace going on in that math class. There was a whole lot of leeway And there was not a lot of assignments during basketball season, interestingly enough. Not a lot of quizzes, not a lot of tests during basketball season. We did go to state, amen, that year. So he did a great job as a coach. But I'll never forget how I felt being in the math class with the coach. I wasn't even on the basketball team. In fact, I was in the band. That was the closest I could get to being on the basketball team. I was in the pep band. Y'all know what that is? You know, the people that play the drums and do the stuff during the games. Yeah, that was me. I was in there, and then I could go chill on the end of the bench. But anyway, that's another story. Our mad teacher is the coach. Our defense attorney is the judge. Our prosecuting attorney is the defense attorney and the judge and is also the one on trial. I don't know how it works, but I do know that when we understand that when Jesus went to the cross that night, he was going with a mission on his mind. I titled the sermon that said, Innocent Beginnings. And people may have thought he was guilty, but he was always innocent. In our whole lives, people will think that we are guilty, but one day will come if we listen to the voice of the Father, if we accept his life of salvation, people who thought we were guilty, who said they should have locked him up a long time ago, Jesus will say, no, I'm sorry. All the charges have been dropped. And I find the client not guilty. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. I want to give someone the opportunity tonight very briefly to just say yes to Jesus. As I was describing this Jesus who was mocked, who was criticized, who was endured sorrow and shame. Maybe something just opened up in your heart tonight. And all I want to do is just give you an opportunity. I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to make you come stand to the front or do anything like that. I just want to pray for you. That tonight you would leave remembering the Jesus that stood that died for you when he didn't have to but in his heart he had you on his mind when they were crucifying him and ridiculing him he had you on his mind he said I'm just going to get through this to make a way for my son for my daughter for my brother for my sister I'm going to make a way for them tonight if you're just saying I need prayer I just want to be refreshed in my relationship maybe I want to start a relationship 
tonight. Just raise your hand so I know who I'm praying for. No one's looking at you. God bless you. I see your hand. God bless you. I see your hand. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray tonight for the hands that were risen. Lord, I pray that they tonight would be introduced to this champion in a fresh way. I pray that they would leave here knowing that their sins have been wiped away. That they would accept the gift. And they, they would repent. They would turn. And they would do what you have called them to do. And we thank you, Lord, for the price that you paid on Calvary. On a Friday night, the world was confused. Hearts were broken. But, Lord, victory was being won. Thank you for winning our victory. We love you. And at the end of this prayer, as I say amen, the church is going to go crazy for those who have made this decision tonight. We love you. And in Jesus' name, we say amen. God bless you. We celebrate your decision. We celebrate you today. Amen, amen, church. We are so happy for everyone who made a decision, who made a decision. Um, we're going to transition to the uh, last parts of our, of our worship service. Uh, I want to remind everyone about 